Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guest is Dr. Dr. Dan Prinus. Dan is an instructional leader, podcast host, author, and speaker. Dr. Krenis has worked in education for over 17 years as a school administrator, instructional coach, intervention specialist, and a classroom teacher while working in districts in New York City, metro area, in New York State, and Connecticut. Dr. Krenis holds a doctorate degree in leadership and a master's degree in adolescent education and one in educational leadership. His original research and dissertation is called Transformational Leadership to Inspire Growth Mindset and Classroom Teachers. Dr. Krenis holds Host the popular Leader of Learning podcast, which can be found on all podcast apps and music streaming services, and was ranked number seven on Feedspot's list of the best 35 educational leadership podcasts. Dr. Krynas is also a published author, having contributed to chapters um, in 100 No-Nonsense Things That all, t- le- all School Leaders Should Stop Doing and 100 No-Nonsense Things That All Teachers Should Stop Doing, Snapshot and Education, Volume 2, Professional Practice, and the EduMatch Teacher's Recipe Guide to Survive and Thrive in the Kitchen and Beyond. I did not know that book was out there. (laughs) He is currently under contract with EduMatch Publishing to publish a solo book. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dan. Thanks so much. Yeah, Actually, believe it or not, just to go back to that EduMatch publication, a lot of people don't know because EduMatch has become a legitimate book publisher at this point, and they have several titles uh, under their belt, but that was the very first one. Um, it just, it, it actually stemmed out of a conversation that happened in the EduMatch Boxer group, mm-hmm. I think all the way back in like 2016 or 17. And someone, probably Sarah Thomas, who uh, is the CEO of, of EduMatch said, let's put together a cookbook. And it's it's a legitimate cookbook. Not like, uh, you know, here are some recipes for succeeding as a teacher, but like actual things that people can cook. And uh, that was the very first EduMatch publication. And I put a recipe in there for a butternut squash soup that uh, me and my wife and my family enjoy. And that was my first and EduMatch's first uh, publication. It's it's kind of weird to say that and to remember it, but that's how it started. Wow. Yeah, because I had Sarah Thomas on um, a few years ago. And you know, I remember her talking about how she got EduMatch started, but she did not mention that cookbook. So... Yeah, cookbook for educators, so okay. definitely something to check out. So we'll start off with talking about uh, the time you when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. Yeah, um, you know, I, I like to think that, uh, you know, I do a good job and, and uh, I've been very successful throughout my education career, but I'd be lying if I said there weren't times where I sort of got stuck in a rut and, and like you say, you know, in the trenches and had to kind of climb out. And I think the most glaring example of a story like that is the first time I stepped into an administrative role. Um, It was a unique administrative role in that it was all instruction, but at the school level, the title of the role was called Academic Standards Facilitator. And the way I explained it to people was that basically it was like an assistant principal for instruction. Okay. Which... For me, because I'm so passionate about instructional leadership, made a lot of sense. Not that I don't 
like working with the students, but I wasn't the assistant principal and therefore I didn't have some of those responsibilities in terms of student discipline and, um, and, and supporting students. My role was like that of an instructional coach, which I am now, but with evaluative powers and, you know, and, and actually, um, observing and evaluating teachers as part of the teacher evaluation process. So, um, I actually got started in that job in like almost midway through the school year. It was right around now. Um, we're recording this just before Christmas. So I think I had like two weeks in that school prior to the Christmas break. Okay. This was back in like 2019, 2018. And, um, it was obviously going to be difficult for me to adjust and for people to adjust to me mm-hmm. starting mm-hmm. almost midway through the school year. Um, and I felt that right away. Yeah. But really the, the reason why I got sort of stuck in the trenches was because it was pretty evident that my uh, leadership style, my philosophies on a lot of things just didn't really align with the principle that I was working with. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I wouldn't have even known that at first because I wasn't hired by the principal. Uh, it's a, it was a very large district. And so the superintendent, as well as some of the other district level administrators were the ones who did the hiring for the school level administrators. And then they just sort of place you at the school that either has a vacancy or the school that they feel like you're going to, you know, thrive in. Um, but unfortunately I did not thrive. Um, and I feel like I tried my best, but there were also some, uh, personal reasons, uh, that, that, uh, unfortunately took me away from my work a little bit mm-hmm. during that time. Um, had to take some absences due to, um, my own illness, uh, for a couple of weeks and some, some family stuff going on. And, and I don't think the principal appreciated that, but there were also examples where not in a confrontational way, mm-hmm. but we just clashed. Um, and, and the first sign of that was, uh, the the day before or the week before the Christmas break, uh, the principal really wanted to make sure that no one, and I mean no one, was not instructing up to like the last minute of oh, wow. the school day. Prior. Yeah. And right. I, I, like that's, I don't know. I'll leave my opinions out of it. I'm just going to tell the story. Uh, so she sent the assistant principal and me, the, the two other administrators, she sent yeah. us out and around the school to look to catch teachers doing the wrong thing and to write teachers up for not in using that as instructional time and to to make the rest of the story you know long story short um there were at least a couple more times that school year where um although i didn't really think it was necessary i was asked or forced to write teachers up for for certain things and um actually i will give i'll give you an example there was a teacher that I, I don't know if I was in the classroom for an extended period of time or maybe just passing by. I, I did observe a teacher, not like officially observe that teacher, but like actually mm-hmm. witnessed the teacher scolding her class. Mm-hmm. And the principal, although I felt like it could have been just a conversation between me and that teacher, the principal, like I said, asked me to write the teacher up and make yeah. a big process out of it. There ended up being a, a meeting with 
the union representation. It was, it became a big thing. And, um, that teacher, believe it or not, although she did not think very highly of me, obviously at the time, because I had to write her up about a year after this experience or, or after I left the school, she actually reached out to me first by email and then over the phone. And we had a really interesting conversation because I guess it took her some time to realize, you know what, Dr. Krinas, it that it wasn't you. Yeah. I know now that you were really trying to support me and that's just what you had to do. And it meant a lot to me for her to realize that even if it was a year later. Um, and that's why I say I was kind of in the trenches because I, I, I guess if I had stayed there long enough, um, I probably would have felt like I was being, I was being put into a situation and, and being told how I should lead in ways mm -hmm. that didn't really fit my style, my personality. And so ultimately, um, I was basically asked to leave. It was it was a mutual decision, really. But I was basically asked to leave that school and and ultimately the district. And since I have found opportunities that have fit me much better, um, but it was a really unfortunate situation, and uh, I wasn't happy. The teachers I was uh, supporting, you know, ended up some some of them not being real happy with me, and um, it just it, it definitely felt awkward and uncomfortable and as much as it was upsetting to kind of hear like oh, we don't really want you to come back yeah. uh, after the school year i was really grateful to be honest to to get out of that situation <laughs> yeah and those are definitely those trench stories that are you know in the situation you feel a lot of the time like it's your fault you're doing everything you can there's this clash there's this toxic leader non-supportive leader um, but looking back, you realize, you know, it wasn't you, right? It it was this this principal's way of, of doing things. And it's it's uh, eye-opening to see that, like, that teacher actually reached out to you and wanted to have that conversation. And, I, you know, I think thinking back, you know, I worked with APs that might have been in a similar, you know, situations, right? And some of the steps that they made um, at different times and like, it, it's just kind of interesting to, um, you know, kind of see looking back, like, um, you know, in a situation where you you wanted to use your strengths as an instructional coach, but you did have that evaluative piece as well. And, you know, not being able to make your own decisions in terms of how to handle something that you see and it, the teacher doing. Yeah. And, you know, first of all, it wasn't even just that situation and scenario where the principal basically told me what to do in terms of writing this teacher up and, and disciplining the teacher. It was even um, when I conducted actual evaluations on teachers, um, she would basically dictate even on in, in the observations that I was doing. You know, we, we all kind of had teachers that were assigned to us, right, that we were uh, their evaluator. And I, I basically had to run my evaluations and scores by her and she would approve them or not. And sometimes she frankly would ask me to change the scores. And um, it was a, it was definitely a bad situation. And like you said, toxic leadership. And actually just to go back to something else that you said, like making it feel like it was my fault. Mm. Um, I have two thoughts about that. One, I probably did feel like that a little bit. I tried not to, but I think that 
that um, that phone call and the contact and the outreach by that teacher a year later gave me closure enough to the point where I was like, you know what? Now I really know it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. And I also became that's when I really became much more familiar with the term gaslighting because mm-hmm. that principal, as toxic as she was, definitely tried to turn the tables on me and yeah. talk about how a lot of this was my fault that I wasn't. Um, I don't know. I don't know the right the, the term that she used, but essentially, I'm paraphrasing. She made it seem like I didn't have enough of a sense of urgency, and that I was I I wasn't getting enough done in my role, and it was it was hard to hear. But I think yeah. at the end of the day, I realized it was just her way of based, trying to make me feel bad, you know. And mm-hmm. again, I've moved on, and and it's. Uh, it's almost tough to to talk about and, and rehash these memories only because it's like, man, I was so frustrated at the time and I've come a long way since to try and, uh, you know, forget about it. And like I said, have that closure, but um, it did happen. And, and yeah. uh, when you hear about toxic leadership, like if you haven't experienced it yet, <laughs> there it'll are come. Those, like, yeah, there <laughs> are those people out there. So it's not, it's not if it's when. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, and that's kind of the same time period I had an experience as well with a toxic leader in a school with a lot of uh, culture issues. So, you know, it's not like it's a thing I daily think about anymore, but looking back, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I, you know, it, it takes a while. It still, it still, um, resonates with you, like kind of some of the things that you did and tried to work through that situation. Right. So, uh, let's move on to what you're currently doing, um, so um, as a instructional coach, um, you um, inspire a growth mindset in teachers. So talk to me about how you've used your leadership from your uh, research, from your doctorate, and how you uh, work with teachers in um, your capacity. This podcast is a proud yeah, member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcasts. Now let's get back to the I think, episode. Um, I think it's something that I do really keep in mind all the time. You know, technically, when I conducted my research, I, I did the, that research on uh, school administrators, principals, and assistant principals. But I think anyone who works in this line of education where it's more geared toward adult learners, uh-huh. um, it's something that we need to keep in mind. Like the 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 problem or the issue that I try to tackle in my research and frankly that I try and tackle almost, I won't say daily, um, but at least weekly or semi-regularly in my own work as an instructional coach is teacher resistance and reluctance. And there was a lot of research into um, what is actually at this point considered a research-based problem and that is resistance to change, right? Education yeah. change all the time, or at least it should mm-hmm. to keep up with, you know, modern day and, and future readiness and, and what our students are going to need after they get out of our level of education onto the next level or even onto college and career. And so um, I, I do try to work with all staff members, even the staff members who may not be as willing to try new things, whether it's technology or some other type of innovative instructional techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I try and keep in mind a couple of things. One, and I think this is sometimes where school leaders 
falter a little bit, I really try and address the why behind why teachers are feeling uncomfortable about something. Because I think sometimes, and I heard it described recently, and I don't remember where, it was probably a podcast. I listen to a lot of educational podcasts, um, that it's okay when you're uh, implementing new initiatives not to have everyone on board. And I think that's true, right? At least a vast majority of your teachers should be on board if it's like a whole school or a large scale uh, implementation of a new initiative of sorts. But then those teachers who are still resistant, asking them why and really understanding, you know, getting to kind of the, the root of the problem is important. Um, and And just getting it out, like letting them get it out there. I think sometimes we say, all right, we want to move forward with this. And we know teachers are going to have a problem or be resistant, but we don't do enough to really understand why. Yeah. And I'm not even sure they understand why. So I think it's good to help them understand, like, what's what's the problem here? And sometimes it's that they just don't want to take risks. And so I think, too, um, working alongside of that teacher and not feeling like you're coming at it from a like a, a level of authority, but really partnering with that teacher to say, okay, what what can we do to help you along, right? Take some baby steps or um, take more time maybe than uh, what's expected. Um, but just really addressing that that comfort level. Um, after I after I extracted the different themes for my research, I kind of boiled it down to an acronym of SCOPE. S-C-O-P-E. And now that you kind of caught me off guard here with this question a little bit, and it's a great question, I'm going to try and remember them. So S is setting high and clear expectations, like really being clear about what you want out of your adult learners. Uh, The C, as I've already alluded to, is comfort, like addressing someone's discomfort level and really validating the fact that they may not feel very comfortable about some kind of change that they're asking them to do in their classroom and getting them a little bit more comfortable about potentially taking a little bit of a risk. Mm -hmm. Uh, The O is just providing opportunities to teachers, whether that's giving them more time or just creating some kind of system that's going to allow them to to thrive um, in whatever it is that that you're asking them to do. Um, The P is really for... uh, and now I'm kind of forgetting, but I think it's more for like purpose, like having everyone kind of buy into what's the point? Like, why would, because I think sometimes that's where teachers get reluctant and resistant. It's like, what? here's another thing that you're asking us to do in our instruction among the thousand other things that you've asked us to do. Like, why, why this? Why now? Um, and then the E is, it's really two things. Um, but I think the the most important, well, it's empowering, right? And 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 as a leader or instructional coach, whoever, like really making the teacher feel like they're in the driver's seat and, and making them feel like they are the biggest part of this push to change something, to implement something. But also the E could stand for what came out of the research as well, enthusiasm. Okay. You know, the leader or, in, you know, instructional leader should be enthusiastic about some kind of change. But ideally, too, you want to try and get that teacher to be enthusiastic about 
what it is that they're doing and altering and implementing as well. So that was a kind of a long way of answering your question, but those are some things that are more research-based, but mm-hmm. I think practical in the sense that they can be practiced and preached by school leaders to help teachers really um, get through that uncomfortability and, and the reluctance and the resistance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's so often these initiatives that are just like, okay, it might be a book they want people to read and discuss in their PLCs. It might be, you know, we're going to visit this in staff meetings once a month, something like that. But it's like, yeah, a lot of it's not laid out clearly. Right. And people are just like, okay, it's another thing I have to do and I don't really buy in. Right. So it's, um, yeah, definitely as a coach and supporting teachers, um, when you understand kind of why there's reluctance, right. Um, kind of tying that together. So, um, we'll talk a little bit more about some of your thoughts uh, when we ask, when I ask about your writing, but I did want to dive in to uh, talking about your podcasting. So you've been podcasting, uh, for quite some time, uh, longer than me. Um, you host the podcast, um, leader of learning and, um, tell me like what got you started podcasting. Um, it's a very successful podcast. As I mentioned in bio, you just crossed a hundred K downloads, uh, and a hundred K views on YouTube. So that's, Mm. that's really impressive. Um, so, uh, what, what is your goal also with the podcast? Because we think like learning, right. It's that adult learning piece, but also you tie in leadership and it, it falls under that edu leadership category. So when I started the podcast, it, it was shortly after I really started branching out in terms of my connectedness on Mm -hmm. social media and at conferences and ed camps. And I go back to like about the year 2016 and coincidentally or not, that was around the same time that I became a full-time instructional coach for the first time. And I was kind of feeling like this imposter syndrome that becoming a, a connected educator helped me with. But as I got more connected to educators, not just in my own school or district, I, I kind of started to feel this sense of like, I think I can impact more educators than just the people, you know, the, just my colleagues and just the people who I'm working with. At the time, I was in a very small district. So uh, as I got more connected and um, as I was starting to uh, kind of branch out myself in terms of just learning as much as I could about being a better educator and um, forming a PLN, I was like, and and I, what I haven't told, said yet is I, I do have a uh, undergraduate degree and some experience in broadcast journalism. And so I was like, you know, I, I'm a good writer. I enjoy writing, but I, I didn't at the time see myself blogging consistently. So with my broadcasting background and my interest now in uh, supporting educators on a more global scale, I said, you know what? I think a podcast is is the way to go. And... Um, it's been amazing. I mean, actually, uh, again, at the time that we're recording this, your interview, Dana, will be my next one to come out. And that's episode 150. And um, I've learned so much from everyone that I've gotten to interview on the podcast. And the overall tone and, and theme of the show is really addressing educational and and instructional leadership from Mm -hmm. all angles. And the idea behind that is it's 
labelless leadership. Like I want my listeners and anyone who follows Leader of Learning, whether it's YouTube or um, or the actual audio podcast, I want them to understand, especially if they're in the field of education, that they are a leader regardless of what their role is and what title they have. Classroom teachers, obviously school administrators, guidance counselors, uh, cafeteria monitors, like I don't care what role you play, you're a leader. And um, I think just sticking to that kind of um, mentality uh, with the theme of the show has, has worked pretty well over 150 episodes now. Yeah. And it's some, one of those that I've been listening to for a while, you know, as you said, you got started back in 2016. So, you know, when you do a search, it's one of those that comes up because it's so popular, right? So, uh, congratulations on your milestone downloads and, um, you know, that's just a, one thing that keeps you going just like me with, uh, talking to people and getting their perspectives. So um, as we mentioned, you know, you you participated with in this cookbook by EduMatch, but you've also uh, participated with Rick Jetter's 100 Stop series. So uh, both of us were on the teacher's book, um, but we'll, we'll highlight the one for leaders um, that just got public, came out in, in November, December of 2022. So your title is, or your chapter was Stop Expecting Respect just because you are the leader. So talk to me a little bit about that chapter. Yeah, I I chose that that chapter and I was glad to ultimately wi- you know, wind up actually writing on it because I think it does align pretty well with kind of my brand and what I'm already doing on Leader of Learning. Um, and so actually what I talked a lot about in that chapter was in my most recent experience as uh, an administrator, which was in the role of assistant principal, the principal and the rest of the admin team and I did a book study together on the five dysfunctions of a team. Mm-hmm. And if, by the way, if you're listening to this and you, and you haven't read that yet, it's a really unique read because it, it reads like a fictional story. Okay. There are characters in it. It's, it's unusual. Um, but there's a lot that you can learn from the situations that the characters go through in that book. And it is heavy on like the business side of leadership, but there's definitely uh, so much you can learn from, you know, if you're in the education field as well. But in that book and in my chapter, I talked a lot about how um, if you're not careful in terms of really investing in relationships and, and building that trust uh, as a leader, what you end up having, what you end up having, is what they call in that book an artificial harmony. Okay. So, I mean, you know, we've probably all been in situations where you, you know, your leader might not realize it, but the culture and climate is poor in the building and in the organization. People are uh, gossiping, talking behind other people's backs. You have people, like I said already, uh, that are reluctant and resistant to try and implement things because that trust isn't there and it it doesn't go, it's not a two-way street. It doesn't go both ways. So that's a lot of what I talk about uh, in that chapter and and it aligns with um, a guide that I have put out for free on my website, uh, just a guide on how to build trust as a leader. As a matter of fact, um, I just launched a free course on the what I'm calling, quote unquote, the uh, Leader of Learning Academy uh, on just that, how to how to build trust as a leader. 
because I really feel like that's such a foundational element to being successful as a leader, but having an entire organization be as successful as possible, like everyone on the same page and trusting one another. So it was an, it was a great chapter to read, uh, to write. It's chapter 13, I believe, if anyone listening has the book or, or is thinking about ordering a copy of the book. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed writing it. I just, I kind of wish the book came out a little sooner only because it felt like such a long wait. Like I wrote it a year ago and then yeah. the book came out a few weeks ago. Um, but it was, those are, those have been some pretty cool projects to participate in. Like I said, I love writing and I think I'm really good at it. You mentioned in my introduction that I have a book contract with Edumatch. Mm-hmm. I've had that contract for two, almost two years now mm-hmm. and the book is still not out. So that probably says something about my eagerness to actually put out my own book, but writing yeah. the chapters and contributing to these other publications have, have been really cool for me. So is that book still in the uh, writing process? Is it kind of a cue for editing? Where is that at? I guess we'll call it the writing process. Okay. Um, that's uh, that, that's giving it a lot more credit than is it's really due, but uh, we'll, we'll just say it's still in the writing process. Okay. So at some point we can expect a solo book from you. I hope so. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's, that's a thing like, you know, you have a lot of uh, good thoughts and, you know, a lot of things to contribute, but like really, you know, writing something uh, on your own does take that um, extended writing time. Right. I, I've been through it myself and my book wasn't super long, but uh, you know, just making sure that, you can, you know, sit down and craft that manuscript. Um, so we've had a great conversation today uh, about your background, um, both as an instructional coach, as an AEP, um, how you got your podcast started, and um, also some, some about some of the uh, freebies like you talked about um, on the uh, Academy on your website, the free course, How to Build Trust as a Leader. Out of everything we talked about on the podcast, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember? I'm going to go back to what I was saying about my why for what I do with Leader of Learning, especially the podcast, in that I really want people to realize their leadership potential, regardless of their title and their role. And um, if you're listening to this now and you also listen to the Leader of Learning podcast, you've heard me say this before because it's literally how I end every single episode of my podcast. But if you haven't, then I want to kind of leave you with this. No matter who you are or where you are, you are a leader of learning. And and again, that's how I end every episode. And, and I'm really serious about that and passionate about it too, because um, I think sometimes educators sell themselves a little bit short in terms of what leadership is and how they are contributing as a leader to their schools, their districts, the education field in general. And so um, no matter who you are or where you are, you're a leader. You're a leader of learning. Yeah, that's something we really need to recognize for, I think, for like everybody in the building is that leader, everybody who touches the lives of students. Where can people connect with you and find you online? I actually have two websites. One is dancrinus.com. The other is leaderoflearning.com. If you're, you can access all my stuff really from both. Um, if you're looking for the podcast or the courses, probably the best bet is leaderoflearning.com. That's where you can find and and access those resources. 
as well as uh, subscribing to the podcast or the YouTube channel. And uh, on social media, I'm just really about everywhere on the same handle. I've tried to keep it as consistent as possible. It's Dr. At, uh, Dr. Underscore Krinus. So D-R underscore my last name, K-R-E-I-N-E-S-S. Great, great. Well, I'll make sure I put that in the show notes. Thank you so much for being my guest on the Out of the Trenches podcast today. Thanks a lot, Dana. Thanks for uh, coming on to my show, too, a couple weeks ago. And I uh, really appreciated it. Thanks a lot. My book, Out of the Trenches, Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. You can access it through Amazon. You can buy it at the Road to Awesome website, or you can get it through my website at danagoodier.com. Please re leave a review, and you can also access it on Kindle. Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at out of trenches PC. Mm -hmm.